I'd encourage you to take a Bible if you did bring one this morning. I'm going to cover a fair bit of territory, uh, so definitely worth your while taking a minute now to open it up. If you don't, uh, listen carefully, and I'll try and read it well for you. Thank you, uh, Jay, for praying as well. I appreciate that coming before God. So uh, we're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 25 today, um, and then we're going to hit 20, chapter 24 and 26 as well. So like I said, you'll get good value out of opening your Bible up. And we've got a narrative this morning. So we again, switch our mind to that narrative zone. So uh, narratives are one way that God uses his word um, to help us, um, one way of a uh, facet of becoming more like Jesus. Um, and the, the, the way we're going to see that is through a narrative, a story, in the Old Testament here, so empowered by the Holy Spirit. Because we've prayed, um, we're gonna, I'm just going to begin. And I want to ask you the question, where do you seek saving from when your back is up against the wall? And maybe this morning, as Frank's already touched on, you just you walked in here feeling like your back is against a wall. I mean, maybe it's the decisions that your children are making, putting your back up against the wall. Maybe it's what's going on at work, that work situation, where you just feel like your back is up against the wall. Maybe it's your marriage, maybe a past marriage, maybe a current marriage, where you just feel like your back is up against the wall. Where do you seek saving from when you're in that situation? And just, we use saving in church often more of a big picture salvation. Um, but here it's, it's, and you'll see in the text, but it's more of a how do you rescue yourself? How do you make it work? How do you resolve the situation? Is how I'm using saving today. And we're going to see in God's word a few people who have their backs up against a wall. And to be precise, it's two kings, a beauty and a fool. Some quick context um, to refresh your memory from last time I preached, or if you're newer or visiting today, it's wonderful to have you here. And so this is a narrative from ancient Israel. Samuel is the prophet of the Lord God, and Samuel has earlier on anointed David as the future king of Israel. So that's David of David and Goliath fame, uh, if you're familiar with that. But the current king is King Saul, the first king of Israel, and Saul is on the hunt to kill David. The chase is on, and here it is, and we're going to start in chapter 24 of 1 Samuel. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, the enemy, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wilderness, sorry, the wild goats' rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing against my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, saying, He is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. How would you feel as David? How would you respond as David? 
I mean, talk about having your back against the wall. So David's in this cave. He's got, we know from earlier on, he's got 600 men with him. But Saul, the current king, is here with 3,000 chosen men, the elite soldiers of Israel. He's being chased down to be killed. And he's in a cave, presumably with the soldiers, right outside the doorway waiting for their king. And to intensify, David has a major choice to make here. He can listen to his men, and they're even suggesting this is God's moment. This is, this is the time to do it. To destroy the God, David's enemy. I mean, imagine the pressure. And so he sneaks forward and he cuts the robe of Saul. But his heart struck. Now, why is that? I mean, if you came up and cut some of my vest off, you, you know, that's, that's not that big a deal. But in this culture, to cut the robe, it was as though he'd cut, attacked Saul himself. It was as though he'd actually struck Saul. And David realises that's wrong. He is not the one to take on God's anointed. He is not David's to destroy. And so Saul, none the wiser, he leaves the cave and later when confronted with the evidence that David spared his life, Saul gives up the chase to kill David. And so the narrative continues in the main section today. We're looking at chapter 25. And listen for the repeated words and themes as I read, because these are what the narrator is using or writing or the writer's using to show us there's actually one big narrative going on here. And it's pondering this question, where do you seek saving from when your back is up against a wall? The narrative continues. I'll read from chapter 25, verse 1. Now Samuel died, that's the prophet of the Lord, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in his house at Ramah. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. So the prophet of the Lord, the one who anointed David as king, is now dead. So how do you think David's feeling with that? I mean, this is, this, this is his advocate. This is the prophet respected by the people. He's dead. And what does King Saul want for David? For him to be dead. Verse 2. And there was a rich man, sorry, there was a man in Maon, so that's near Paran where David is, whose business was in Carmel. So this is all placing it all in Israel. The man was very rich and had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful. But the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. So in addition to David, are introduced to a new character. There's a man in Maon. Notice how the narrator introduces him. He's very rich, and he has 3,000 sheep, which is interesting because who else has 3,000 of something <laughs> but soldiers rather than sheep? You can yell it out if you want. So, yeah, perfect. And so what the narrators do, I don't think it's not a, in Hebrew writing, it's not a coincidence that, oh, it happened to have 3,000 sheep, it happened to have 3,000 soldiers. The narrator's going, hey, you're actually meant to connect the two here. And so, and who else is very rich? The king, of course. And later on, just to make it completely clear in the narrative, um, this man is described as feasting like a king. And so what's happening in the bigger picture of 1 Samuel is there's this contrast between King or the future King David and the current King Saul. And so here in this odd little narrative that comes up here where Saul seemingly disappears, you say, oh, where'd Saul go? Saul hasn't disappeared. The narrator is clearly putting it to, in front of the reader to say, it's the same guy, figuratively. But Saul, when you see this man, 
we're going to have his name in a second, but, um, and you see it's Saul. That's the same thing. That The ongoing battle is there between David and Saul. It's just been replaced by this guy standing in his place. And so this man's name is Nabal, which, which to us doesn't mean a whole lot, but to, if this was written in Hebrew, an original Hebrew reader, Nabal means fool. His name is Fool, which is odd. Um, is it a nickname? Is it a real name? It's not obvious, but what the reader is being shown is here's Fool. And if Fool wasn't enough of a characterization, he's also harsh and badly behaved, and to top it all off, he's a Calebite. Which is interesting, because if you know your Old Testament, some of you will, some won't, but Caleb was a positive character, so it's a bit, oh, that's odd that he's been grouped in with this, this negative. But there's a couple of things that referring to as a Calebite shows. One, again, um, and I'm not going to go in Hebrew words the whole time, but the, the word for Caleb is very similar to dog. And so in this culture, dogs, that's not positive. He's calling him a dog, basically, by saying he's a Calebite, he's a dog. Harsh, badly behaved dog. Um, and the other interesting one is it puts him in as a person in the country of Israel, and the land where the um, where Nabal is from, so that where the tribe, um, the people of Caleb would be, is actually the same place as where David's family is seen to be from. And so they may well be distant relatives, or at least well known to each other. So hold that thought. So we have Nabal, a harsh, badly behaved, very rich, dog-like fool. From the narrative's perspective, this is King Saul. And the other character, Abigail, and notice the simple contrast. She's beautiful and discerning. So we have the characters, David, Nabal, Abigail. Reading from verse 4, chapter 25. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name, and thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you, and peace be to the ho your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm. And they miss nothing all the time they are in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favour in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have on hand to your servants and to your son David. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who come from I do not know where? David's young men turned back and came back and told him all this. David and his men are on the run from King Saul. Living in the wilderness during that time, they provided protection for Nabal's servants and Nabal's riches, so the livestock, from enemy forces. In that time, it was, it was easy for a raiding party to come through and, and take it all. So David and his men, they've been generous. They've blessed Nabal. They've come now seeking some sort of gift, we could say payment, um, for their protection. And David's greeted him with, with peace and humility. So how does Nabal respond to David's kindness and care and protection and ultimately this blessing that David's provided from God? Nabal insults David. You notice he didn't even use his name. It's as though he doesn't know David. 
And yet he does. I mean, remember, they're likely relatives. At this point in the narrative, David's a war hero in Israel. He's heard of David. And David and his 600 men were in the wilderness protecting the Baal's um, wealth, basically. And so to pretend he doesn't even know him is a terrible, terrible insult. And just to give it away, the narrator shows Nabal calls David by his father's name. So he knows exactly who David is. His response is a grave, evil and serious insult against David. How would you respond? When you're already on the run from the king wanting to kill you, you've carefully protected this relative's wealth, probably hoping you'd get some some benefit later on from it. He's been blessed significantly from, from you. And when you're you're hungry, when you're you're desperate, you're in the wilderness, hoping for some sort of blessing in return, what do you get? A serious evil insult. Where do you seek saving from when your back is against the wall? Here's how David responded in verse 13. And David said to his men, Every man strapped on his sword, and every man of them strapped on his sword, and David strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. David's back is against the wall. He's insulted, he's hungry. Where's he going to get saving from? His sword, his sword, his sword. Because earlier in 1 Samuel, or earlier in 1 Samuel, when the same configuration happened, 400 men went with David, 200 stayed behind, people died. So David sent originally his young men to Nabal, but now one of Nabal's young, men's go, young men goes to our other character we've been introduced to, Abigail. Verse 14. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them or screamed at them. Yet the young men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm. We did not miss anything when we were in the fields, as long as we went with them. They were a wall to us, both day and by night, and all the while we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now therefore know this, and consider what you should do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his house, and he is such a worthless man that no one can speak to him. So we get this further insight into David's blessing to Nabal. And did you see the shepherd imagery there? It comes through with David. They were a wall to us, keeping the sheep. And David's original day job was a shepherd. So David knows how to care for sheep. And this young man of Nabal's servants takes what David said about them really caring, and he raises the bar, and he tells Abigail and warns her, because everyone except Nabal can see that Nabal's insulting, angry response and it's interesting the servant actually doesn't refer to Nabal by his name or as, as fool, but he refers to him as my master. But we do see what the servants think of him. He is such a worthless man, no one can speak to him. And the servants know it's going to be bad for them all. Nabal would do well to listen to his servants, but he doesn't. And harm in the form of David and 400 armed men is coming his way now. It raises the question, are you with David here? I mean, David's been a blessing. David took on Nabal's wealth like his own. He protected it. He shepherded her. What about you and your family? You've been a blessing. In your marriage, you've been a blessing. In your workplace, you've been a blessing. And what do you get back? Do you get gratitude? Do you get a blessing in return? What happens when your back is against the wall in these scenarios? Often it's insults and evil comes back. 
Remember Saul? If you're familiar, going back in earlier in um, 1 Samuel, David fought for him. David, the shepherd boy, faced the giant Goliath when Saul, the tall, armoured king of Israel, was meant to be the one to go out and face Goliath. But David faced Goliath. David led King Saul's army. He risked his life in battle. And David didn't ask for anything in return. David has been a blessing to King Saul. And yet in return, Saul just has David's back against the wall, trying to kill him. I mean, who's had enough with that? I mean, maybe David is right. Maybe it's time to deal with Saul. Saul. Where do you seek saving from when your back is against the wall? Maybe responding like David seems like a pretty good option. So far, Abigail has been characterised as the opposite of her husband. So how will this discerning woman respond to David and the blessing from God? From verse 18. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep ready prepared and five sears of parched grain, 200 clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and laid them on donkeys. And she said to her young men, Go on, behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. And as she rode on the donkey, she came down under the cover of the mountain. Behold, David and his men came toward her, and she met them. The narrator jumps across to David to give the reader insight into what David's thinking. In verse 21, Now David had said, Surely in vain I have guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David and more also, if by morning I leave alive so much as one male of all who belong to him. David has blessed, Nabal has insulted, and David is going to be the self-appointed judge and executioner. The narrator jumps back to Abigail. Remember, Abigail, the wife of Nabal, is approaching 400 insulted, angry, sword-carrying men. You feel meeting them. But she does. And it's a long speech. And long speeches in Hebrew narratives are significant. We're meant to take notice of what she says. And, and throughout this, it's a little bit hard to follow, but she refers to David as my Lord out of respect. But she also refers to the Lord, the covenant God of Israel. So listen carefully to follow or read along. Verse 23. When Abigail saw David, she hurried. She got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow, Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. Fool, fool, fool. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And let, now let this present, the, the food she's prepared, that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you as long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living care of the Lord your God. 
and the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. There's a sling image. Do you think that doesn't hit David? Again, David of Goliath, David and Goliath fame, square between the eyes. And when the Lord has done to my Lord, according to all the good he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. Where do you seek saving from when your back is against the wall? Discerning, and we can see godly Abigail in a, in a prophetic-like way, remembering Samuel the prophet of the Lord has died. I'm not saying she is a prophet, but she's acting in the what she's speaking, a prophetic-like way, has reminded and rebuked David that seeking to save himself through the killing of Nabal, remember Saul, is sin. The Lord will care for David. The Lord will fulfill the promises to David. The Lord will deal with those who are against David. David does not and must not try to save himself. That is God's role. And yes, David feel, he feels like his back is against the wall facing uh, Saul. And this character Nabal, that has placed themselves against David. So how does the sword-carrying, insulted, back-against-the-wall David respond? He responds with praise to God. He, responds, he praises God for sending Abigail and her godliness to remind and rebuke him, and he receives the gift that she's bought and calls off the vengeance march. Verse 32. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you to this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly by morning there had not been left in a bowl so much as one male. And David received from her hand what she had bought him, and he said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice. I have granted your petition. That disaster is averted. But the reality is Saul is still trying to kill David. David still has his back against the wall. Then Raider goes back to a Nabal. And so, well, Abigail has been off saving everyone's life from David and his men after Nabal's insult. Where's Nabal? Where's fool? Here he is in verse 36. And Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was in, holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. Remember Nabal representing King Saul. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. So she told him nothing until the morning light. In the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him, and he became like a stone. And about ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. There are a couple of different ways to understand the Nabal's reaction to this update. Now, it could simply be that Nabal goes into shock, um, hearing the news, becomes paralysed, and in a coma, something like that. But in, in Hebrew writing, heart's not usually used as a, a medical term. And remember earlier when David cut uh, Saul's robes and his heart was struck within him. The heart is 
more commonly used to describe the, the inner person, the emotions, the feelings, the, the place where decisions are made and where feelings are, the conscience. And so here I think we can see it as Nabal's conscience and emotions are lifeless. They're gone at this point. He is unchanged like a stone. Nabal the fool responds to his insult and worthless character like a stone. He's unchanging, he's without remorse for the evil he showed to David. But the narrator points out, so there's no question what happened to Nabal. The Lord struck Nabal and he died. He experienced judgment from God. David perceives this. Verse 39. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal and has kept back, the Lord has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. It's interesting because David had made an oath to punish Nabal. But the intervention of Abigail bringing God's truth to David prevented David from sinning by killing Nabal. David realised he must trust God in the same way to deal with Saul. Remember, Nabal, Saul. The Lord's dealt with Nabal. What's the lesson for David and Saul? Where do you seek saving from when your back is against the wall? When your back is against the wall, resist sin. Rather, trust the saving hand of God, of the Lord. Your back's against the wall. Resist sin. Rather, trust the saving hand of the Lord. We jump across to chapter 26 to complete the larger narrative unit. And listen, again, you listen for the connections. In verse chapter 26, Then the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, is not David hiding himself on the hill of Hachil, which is the east of Jeshimon? So Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph with 3,000 chosen men of Israel to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. Down to verse 7. So David and Abishai, that's one of David's warriors, went to the army by night, and there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment with his spear stuck in the ground at his head, and Abner, that's the general, and the army, they lay around him, protecting the king. And Abishai said to David, has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear. I will not strike him twice. Earlier on, if you remember last sermon, Saul took a few goes to try and hit David, but this warrior is confident he'll take out Saul with one. Uh, David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him. For who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he'll go down to battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. I take now the spear that at his head and the jar of water and let us leave. Notice the change from the first narrative where he was willing to cut the robe of Saul. Now David resists him. And he trusts the saving hand of the Lord. As we've touched on this morning, maybe walking in here this morning, you feel like your back is against the wall. 
decisions your children are making, in that situation at work, your marriage, where do you seek saving? Where do you, where do you seek the resolution? Where do you seek the um, making things work when your back is against the wall? It's not saying God will strike your enemies. It's a mistake to read the Bible and go, this is what David did, therefore this is what I will do. Because you're not David, you're not Abigail, you're not Nabal, and neither am I. But what we do when God's given us his word, he gives us theology about who God is, how people respond to God, often sinfully, and by contrast, how God's people are invited to respond to God. And again, as Nigel reminded us last week, and we've already heard this morning in song, in communion, in prayer, if we're believing in Jesus Christ as Lord, we're already God's people. God's given his word to people who are already his. And then he gives us instructions. This is, this is how you live as my people. When your back is against the wall, resist sin, rather trust the saving hand of the Lord. And, and who is the greatest example of this? It's Jesus, of course. His back was against the wall. He was facing death. Yet he did not sin, but he entrusted himself to God the Father over and over again. And I don't know how God's Spirit is applying this to you this morning. We all come from different backgrounds, different experiences. The word remains the same, but how what it looks like in our life may well be very different. But just these are some examples of how we could respond, both as individuals, but all of these are relevant to us as a church as well. And so we could reject being a fool. The bigger theme in Samuel is not honouring God. So Saul and our character today, Nabal, they didn't honour God. And God was seeking to bless them. God made Saul the king. He gave them the opportunity. Nabal was blessed by God, but they think they know better. And so their pride results in judgement from God. And, and warnings and judgement, they're awkward and uncomfortable topics to think about and talk about. But how much better is it to be warned than to experience the consequences? If only Nabal had listened. If only Saul had listened. Maybe this morning for you, if only you would listen. You're in a blessed place because you're in church this morning. And this morning you've heard the good news, heard the good news of Jesus Christ. You've heard the gospel. Young people here today, older people here today, there's a warning here. Reject being a fool and receive the blessing of God. It's the good news of Jesus. The blessing of God is the good news of Jesus that we've already heard about this morning. Reject being a fool. Secondly, we, we, it could, a way we could apply this is to receive godly people. God uses other people to guide us. Notice how David was in, um, uh, stopped in the killing of Nabal here. It wasn't a, a voice from a, the sky, it wasn't a lightning bolt crashing across in front of him. It was the brave appeal of the discerning and godly Abigail. David could have said, no, I'm the Lord's anointed. I know best. But he was able to perceive that someone else had wisdom from God. And he listened. So consider seriously when a fellow Christian that's close to the situation offers a godly reminder or rebuke. Receive godly people. 
Remember God's promises. I mean, Abigail reminded David of God's promise that he would be king. He didn't have to make it happen by his own hand. God had promised and God was going to come through. Maybe as your back's against the wall, you're feeling impatient. Be reminded that God has promised his purposes will come to pass. Maybe you're feeling insulted. But God has promised his justice. Maybe you're feeling under-resourced. God has promised his provision. There's so many more promises in Scripture. Again, our example, our Saviour Jesus, he had had more, um, more right than anyone to save with his own hand. He was insulted unjustly, and he is just as human as David, Abigail, you and me, and yet he refused to sin. Instead, he entrusted himself to God, his Father. And Jesus sympathises with our weaknesses. Jesus sympathises with your weaknesses. So remember God's promises. Remind yourself of them when your back's against the wall. Look them up if you don't remember them. Or ask someone to help remind you of God's promises. And finally, a way we could apply this, and a great one to do, as we've already done this morning, but it's to respond to God in praise. David's response to the intervention of Abigail was a declaration of praise to God. And what happens when we publicly praise God by acknowledging what he's done, well, others are then encouraged too. Others are reminded that God is active. Others praise God as well. God receives more glory because more of his people are praising him. And so if you experience God in your life, if you experience being transformed from having your back against the wall and something happening, um, that you're able to be, become more like Christ in that situation, or God intervenes in some way in that situation, tell somebody, share it, and let others praise God with you and respond to God in praise as well. When your back is against the wall, resist sin. Rather, trust the saving hand of the Lord. If you want to respond with prayer this morning, um, Jonathan and Eve will be over to the side here. You're welcome to, um, they'd love to pray with you if you want to respond in that way, or just pray with the person next to you. Um, Just ask someone around you. There's Jar and Frank um, come to lead us in a final song. Let me pray to our God. Our Lord, the Lord, your word is always relevant. Um, in these stories, it's, it's incredibly um, engaging as we see these characters. I'm sure that we all in some way see ourselves um, through them. Help us to apply your word to us this morning. Help us, not to, help us to resist sin in our situations. Help us to respond in praise. Help us to trust your saving hand in our situation rather than our own.